Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Pesaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I am Cam Smith, and this week, Andy's still not with me. He's away on a little holiday, which means I'm at a bit of a loss because Andy is the guy that asks, you know, the smart questions about Adorno or the Frankfurter School or whatever. And me, all I've got are questions about, you know, can you tell me more about that weirdo whose bathtub was damaged by acid? So to that end, I've got a Dr. Kaz Ross an academic with an interest in China and the far right, in to talk about Steve Bannon. How are you, Kaz? Yeah, I'm good. G'day, Cam. How are you going? Not too bad. So, Steve, what's he been up to? I think the last time we talked about him on the show, he'd just been charged, and that seems like a billion years ago. Yeah, wasn't it a billion years ago? It was August last year, actually. So he had been charged. He was on a $50 million yacht at the time. It was a spectacular arrest. He was charged with fraud around the whole we build the wall fiasco, uh, building a wall between the United States and Mexico, accused of draining off millions of dollars. And, yes, he was marched off in handcuffs and then he was put up for trial. But, of course, in the intervening period, Uh, There was the election that Trump didn't win and then there was the push for a pardon. He finally got his pardon from Trump and then when it finally went to court in May, there was a bit of argy-bargy about whether or not the the pardon held up and how if it was valid and the judge ruled, yep, it's valid, off you go and off he chuffed. Because it was a preemptive pardon, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And the interesting thing about Bannon is that, of course, he really came to mass attention in the Trump campaign of 2016 as a strategist. And that's where we saw him bring together a decade of conservative media experience to run an amazing campaign that, you know, came through the middle, the sort of Stephen Bradbury of of elections for Trump, where Trump just sailed up through the middle and smashed Hillary Clinton uh, using a lot of pretty dodgy online techniques, I would say and social media. So, you know, he'd been in with Trump. He had a spectacular falling out with Trump's relatives, his son-in-law, Kushner, and his daughter, Ivanka Trump. He described Ivanka as dumb as a brick. And surprisingly, Trump didn't like that, had a big falling out. He left. He went back to Breitbart, where he was a co-founder earlier on in 2007. The Breitbart founders, the uh, funders didn't like him, so they booted him again. And um, he teamed up with his best of mates, Miles Gore or Gore Wingway. And uh, Miles Gore has a lot of money. 
So he used his influence to get back into Trump's good graces by 2019. And by 2020, the pandemic gave him an opportunity to really run probably the most influential pro-Trump platform, broadcasting four hours a day, six days a week. So he was back in Trump's good books then, and he managed to leverage that into an apology, into a... um into a pardon. I was going to say, I hadn't realised that uh, he'd gotten back in the good books because I'd always wondered how someone who Trump hated so much got a pardon, whereas, like, the Tiger King was stuck in jail. Yeah, unfortunately, the Tiger King's not, doesn't really have a following of millions of people and isn't connected to Chinese billionaires with lots of money and uh, doesn't have access to a whole lot of conservative figures. I mean, Bannon is a consummate networker. He's also known as a terrible gossip. And so, you know, it's it came out actually after the election that he thought that Trump had early dementia. And he was talking about ways of getting Trump removed. But at the same time, his platform was the most vociferous pro-Trump platform. And a number of the big scandals that were to um, controversies, which were to benefit Trump, came out through Bannon. So some of those you might know about, the Hunter Biden sex computer stuff. Hunter Biden, Joe um, Biden's son, put his computer in for repairs. And lo and behold, it was full of drug taking and sexual activities. Yeah, weird weird that a crack cocaine addict would have all of that on his computer. Well, it is, isn't it? And uh, it was Steve Bannon and his networks that propagated that. A bit before that, he had using this Miles Guo or Guo Wenguei, using their networks, they brought out a virologist from Hong Kong to say she had proof that the COVID-19 had been, uh, coronavirus had been manufactured in a Chinese lab. And that was hugely controversial. Of course, it really helped Trump. So in this way, he's making Trump look good and he's backing up Trump by, you know, giving him some weapons that he can use to attack Biden or attack China, so on and so forth. And a a whole lot of other controversies that that, that they've been involved in. He was in Trump's good books, yeah, by the end, by the uh, really from about 2019 onwards, although Trump denied it. But in 2020, in the lead up to the election, he was totally team Trump and and very influential. So they he had this podcast, Pandemic War Room. Uh, where does that sort of fit into the misinformation, disinformation ecosystem? Is that like where things are starting or is that where things are ending up? Yeah, a bit of both. He started it actually before it was the Pandemic War Room. It was just the War Room. And it was to do with the Hong Kong democracy movement. So remember that he's very closely tied to this billionaire whose main aim in life is to displace the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. So his funding, his sources, his connections on this China stuff are coming through that network. So he really latched on to the Hong Kong protests of 2019, and he was probably the most prolific broadcaster on that. He, he broadcast on it every day and really went into great detail on what was happening in Hong Kong. And, of course, that's used to attack the Chinese Communist Party. And then when the epidemic began, that easily morphed into the pandemic war room. So in the pandemic war room, I mean, that's where I first came across our old mate, pillow dude, Mike Lindell, who had these long ads on the war room and used to appear on there and talk on there and so on and so forth. Um, So he's building up a sort of a network of Trump supporters and funders and chances and people who wanted to be in with Trump and wanted to be in with politics. He also has conservative experts, disaffected Republicans, 
various sorts of people on there. So it became a place of gossip, sharing information, uncovering information, propagating information. Gore Wengui's media empire is huge. And in fact, he pays for the pandemic war room to be subtitled into Chinese. So it's really a joint venture, but Steve Bannon does all the talking pretty well. He's a pretty talented guy, four hours of content every day. That's a pretty big ask. So I'm guessing they don't have a lot of listeners in China itself. Uh, who's listening to this in the diaspora? It's definitely only consumed by the diaspora, but Guo's network includes a whole lot of influencers. So he'd set up a network of media influencers of uh, 2017, something like that. He himself had uh, fled from China in 2014 to America and launched himself by telling all these secrets of the Chinese elite. He himself was a property developer, very, very wealthy, and he started spilling the beans on sex scandals and corruption. So he was quite the the darling of the Chinese democracy movement and it was electric, you know, the stuff that he was coming out with. People couldn't believe that someone was saying this stuff. So he then turned that kind of whistleblower mentality into a network of whistleblowers in Chinese. And these people are kind of like, you know, influencers or uh, they have their own little podcasts. They're all over the, the Chinese speaking diaspora. We have some in Australia and they sort of uh, disseminate whatever it is at the time. The main focus is bring down the, the Chinese Communist Party. So if you listen to Bannon's um, war in pandemic, he'll always have a little section on China or quite a few sections on China and feature the kind of bring down the CCP line. But he's very, very, very involved in everyday American politics. So if you go on there, you'll hear hours of discussion about voter fraud and how the election was stolen and the ins and outs of um, administration in America. That kind of um, minutiae detail is not that interesting to a Chinese-speaking audience. Yeah, I guess I'm curious, like, how do they square the circle? They're pro-Chinese democracy, but I I don't think anyone would say Steve Bannon is pro-American democracy. He's an interesting character. He actually believes that China and the relationship with China is really key to America's success. And by that, he wants the oligarchs, he wants the manufacturers, he wants businesses, the finance sector, to disengage from China. And so he believes that that's what the powerhouse is of the relationship between China and America. More so, he doesn't really talk a lot about the global politics or the military and the, I mean, of course, that comes up, but he's mostly focused on the economics and making America economically strong, which he sees is sort of disentangling it from China. So, I mean, he was a big supporter of the Tea Party movement back in the day. And in fact, he was described as the Lenny Reffin style of the Tea Party movement for the little documentaries that he made. So he believes in a strong conservative America. And of course, as we know, there's problems there because the, you know, Trump won the election and Biden stole the election and he's busy making amends. One thing that uh, he and Miles have whipped up together is the Chinese government in exile. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? They got a very earnest group of Chinese democracy activists. And there's a big crossover here with Falun Gong, which is the banned religious group from China. 
So there's a lot of membership of Falun Gong in this new Federated States of China movement. And they wrote up a constitution and they wrote up rules and they they did all the things that governments and exiles do, you know, had a structure and had everything sort of lined up. They printed flags and T-shirts and recruited people from all around the Chinese diaspora. And their aim is to say, we are the legitimate government of China. We will replace the CCP. Just as a historical footnote, that sounds completely bizarre, right? Mm. But historical footnote, in 1949, when the nationalist government of China fell to the Chinese Communist Party and they left and went to Taiwan, they called themselves the legitimate government in exile for decades. So for decades, they continued to have meetings where each of the provinces was represented and they'd make decisions about those provinces. They were in Taiwan. They were not on mainland China. So it's only really in the 70s that the Chinese Communist Party was recognised by the world as the legitimate government of China. So there's this notion that you could be a government in exile for a couple of decades. And I guess that's the kind of the cultural political memory that Miles Gore is drawing on. I guess where I first heard about this government in exile was uh, via QAnon. A lot of, I noticed a lot of Aussie QAnon influences uh, for lack of a better word, were sort of talking about it, but they were talking about it in a weird way. Uh, they incorporated it into the QAnon conspiracy, as in not only was this the uh, the legitimate Chinese government, it was the actual Chinese government now. The CCP had fallen. I was wondering if you had any ideas about how this sort of idea was found its way into the QAnon world and whether that was necessarily where they wanted it to go, given that there was sort of no, no longer a need for a struggle once uh, once the, the fight's been won. Yeah, although sadly, you know, we've got Biden the clone in the White House and while the real president isn't there yet, so maybe the struggle hasn't been won. I guess you think about the parallels that there's this idea of an elite and a deep state that's running things that needs to be controlled and that they're evil. In that way, the Chinese Communist Party represents kind of the fears of the QAnon community, you know, of an all-powerful entity that's uh, smashing people and doing evil bad stuff, such as cooking up bat viruses in a lab and using that to their advantage. So there's a, a, it's interesting to me how the the strength of QAnon is how it can incorporate any local circumstance Australia is very ripe for that, particularly with regards to China. You recall at the height of the crazy, um, there was all this discussion about Dan Andrews was, well, the clone Dan Andrews because the real Dan Andrews was in Guantanamo Bay. But um, Dan Andrews was flying in 5G technology to monitor the vaccination microchips flying it in from China at night because this was all part of the Victorian government's deal with the Belt and Road Initiative that they agreed to with China. So China has a particular kind of place, I think, in the Australian political landscape that it probably doesn't actually in America. China's pretty prominent to us. And, of course, during the pandemic, one of the things that Miles Gore and Steve Bannon were pushing was China's culpability for the epidemic. So I'm pretty sure that Bannon himself doesn't believe that it was cooked up in a lab or doesn't know or actually doesn't really particularly care, but they just use any weapon that they can to smash the Chinese government. So for the QAnons, you can see why they would go for it, absolutely. 
I think that when you look at the end result, the new federated states of China have held a few marches, you know, around the time of the election and then around January 6, the time of the Capitol riot, around the time of the inauguration, they held these rallies. And there were very, very few QAnon, non-Chinese QAnon followers in those rallies. So they didn't really create a groundswell here with, you know, boots on the ground. I just think it's something that people latched onto. There's a lot of money going into it. There's a lot of material being produced on it. So you would be encountering it online. Something else that's been happening online with uh, Miles Guao and uh, some other people from the Trump world is the new social media platform, Getter. Have you had a chance to check this out? Maybe check out some of the Sonic the Hedgehog porn that's on there? Yeah, old men in nappies and furry stuff and, you know... It's good that they're really into free speech, eh? <laughs> um, well, you know, the thing about Getter, of course, is the name. What does it come from? Like get together. It's a sort of a contraction. And you'll notice something I did notice about it is that the posts are 777 characters. Ah. And you might be thinking, hmm, what's the significance of that? Well, kind of Christian evangelical types might say, oh, God made the world in seven days and it's all Christian. It's actually a Chinese thing because the character for seven, Qi, is very um, suggestive of the notion of together, being together. So get together, getter, 777, kind of really makes sense in a Chinese symbology kind of way. Well, it's perfect for all of the numerology nuts on there. Yeah, totally. That'll really set them off. And uh, basically it was Miles Gore's initiative. They've realised once they were booted off, you know, once they were booted off uh, YouTube and Twitter, I mean, Bannon went off Twitter after he said that Fauci and the FBI director should have their heads on pikes. Somehow Twitter didn't like beheading as a suggestion. So this was in the heady days leading up to the Capitol riot was actually in November. And so they got booted off Twitter. Rudy Giuliani blamed the Capitol riot on the Democrats. So they got booted off YouTube. So they realized, like a lot of these types, um, you know, Pete Evans, for example, or Avi Yemeni, you need your own platform away from the major social media. So basically, Getter was a Chinese language platform that's now morphed into the platform for the Trump followers and for the MAGA community. What did you, what did you make of the way that the platforms treated Bannon? Because I guess if you look at the way that he was booted off Twitter, I don't think anyone seriously thought he was saying we should behead Fauci and put his head on a pike. But I'm sure that there was plenty of things he said that did, you know, break their terms of service. Yeah, look, it's pretty clear to me that the platforms themselves were dragged kicking and screaming to boot Trump and to boot some pretty extreme people off there. And, you know, it was pretty heated. You think about back to November, I mean, it's a lifetime ago now, but it was really, really heated with this whole, what's Trump going to do? He's not acknowledging the election result leading up to the Capitol riot. So I think the social media platforms finally worked out. Mm, uh, Support's fallen away from Trump, actually. He's lost the election. Now we can boot all these guys. We've made the money off them. Let's boot them. And that's what they did. I was actually watching when Rudy Giuliani was saying his stuff and Bannon, it was a couple of days in a row that he was on Bannon's show and Bannon kept cutting him off, booting him off, wouldn't let him speak and so on and so forth because he knew that Rudy was pretty unhinged at that point. And, yeah, 
and that's how they got booted. So now we've got Getter, whether it actually works. As you know, it's already been hacked um, by somebody who said, oh, yeah, I just mucked around with it for 20 minutes and hacked it. But they're actually calling it, you know, this is going to really revolutionise, the, uh, really revitalise the MAGA movement and leading up to the next election. Well, we'll we shall see. I was wondering, in terms of things that are uh, inflaming the MAGAs at the moment, probably public enemy number one would be critical race theory. Do you see like the fingerprints of Bannon and that whole Breitbart thing on the way that critical race theory has become this sort of powerful boogeyman for American conservatives? Yeah, 100%. I mean, the when Breitbart was founded with Andrew Breitbart and uh, Steve Bannon and then Bannon took over after Breitbart died, the whole aim of it was actually to disrupt the liberal-dominated media. So wherever there seems to be some domination in the media by liberal ideas, that's where they'll go. And they also, it's worth noting that the uh, co-funders of Breitbart were also the owners of Cambridge Analytica, mm. which successfully, you know, manipulated Facebook stuff to cause a lot of disharmony and and dis- disrupt actually um, the social media landscape. So I see this as one of their great achievements that they've, when people say, oh, I don't trust the mainstream media or, you know, do your own research I see that as actually one of their successes. They set out to disrupt the media landscape and they've kind of succeeded in doing that and causing a lot of disharmony. So in previous times, they've used anti-Muslim sentiment. They've spread anti-Semitism, basically anything controversial. And, of course, their big success was Gamergate, where they employed Milo Yiannopoulos to spearhead this uh, cultural war around uh, women in gaming and games reporting. Of course, the whole purpose of it was to create this sort of army of annoyed, tech-savvy gamers to go out and savage liberals. So that's where we get social justice warrior and all that kind of stuff. So the critical race theory campaign, I see that as kind of like SJW attack, you know, 2.0. We've just had July 4th in the States. Uh have you had a chance to tune into some of these uh, recent patriotic broadcasts that he was doing for the day? Yeah, country road, take me home. If you've been on Twitter, you'll have seen it. That's Mark Zuckerberg riding a $12,000 hydrofoil to John Denver singing Country Road uh, while fla- flying an American flag. So there's some crazy stuff going on on July 4. And, of course, Bannon was broadcasting over the weekend uh, he picked up on the uh, Mark Zuckerberg very bizarro video, patriotic video. But they they did a lot about the American Revolution, sort of the history of nationalism in America. But it was paired totally with anti Chinese communism stuff as well. So you have a section on something about America, then you'll have something on forced abortion in China and how evil the Communist Party is. A few you know, statements from Mark Liddell, the pillow guy, and then back to this discussion of the election and voter fraud and what happened to the votes and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, the China stuff is woven all the way through all all of these episodes. And even though Miles Gore himself said, oh, no, no, I don't have anything to do with Steve Bannon after Steve Bannon was arrested, 
because Miles Gore himself was being investigated for a $300 million fundraising scam, obviously they're still together like uh, gums and teeth. Well, (laughs) on that note, Kaz, I think we will leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us and bringing us up to date on my favourite bathtub destroyer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thanks, Cam. All right. Well, folks, that is all we've got time for. Uh, Tune in tomorrow to 3CR from 11am till 1pm for a special broadcast of Beyond the Bars from Port Phillip Prison. Should be a good one. And I will catch you next week. See you later. Miles Grow now taking down the CCP for the people of China, for the people of the United States of America, and for all mankind. Honored to be working with all of you guys. Let's crank this. We will not
Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series, where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates in Victorian prisons. We started in 2002, and this year marks 20 years on the air. Be sure to tune in at 11am each morning from Monday July the 5th to Friday July the 9th for Beyond the Bars 2021 broadcast. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Thoughts within, visions I see, daring to dream my destiny. It's time to speak up, speak out and speak loud. From an idea born on a park bench outside Liberal Party headquarters where hundreds of women told their stories of sexual violence, introducing Feminist Fridays. Join our open speaking circle to tell your story any way you want. A poem, a speech or a dance. You can even yell it out in the direction of Parliament House because that's where we'll be, on the steps. Feminist Fridays, starting Friday the 30th of April at 12pm. Join us. It's time to unite, heal and take back our power. Feminist Fridays isn't just a protest. We are a non-hierarchical collective ready to destroy the patriarchy, starting with your voice. This event is taking place on stolen Wurundjeri land and voices of First Nations people are prioritised. Hosted by Loud, Angry and Not Sorry. A 3CR supporter. 